you know, it comes down to like, you need to know your audience, but data and audience, as you mentioned, is just one side of the campaign, right? You have to have creative too. And another thing too, that like, I think we see a lot is people will start an advertising campaign and a month later, they'll be like, oh, it's not working. You have Mm -hmm. to give it time as well, because you need to be able to test and optimize. As you were saying, optimization is changing. Data is just one side of it. You have to have a message that speaks clearly to those people, right? Successful campaigns are the ones that are doing it right. The ones who are not spamming their customers, the ones who are emailing or texting the people with their marketing content who are asking for that message. Even if it's a small group, it's all about your quality first party data. And so honestly, like that, as a marketer, that's what inspires me. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Jesse Lezak, who is the CMO at BDEX, the first ever data exchange platform. BDEX empowers B2C companies to use the power of data to understand consumer behavior and intents, helping them reach the right people at the right time. Generating revenue, growing audiences, and connecting people through data-driven marketing and sales is what Jesse has done for the last 10 plus years. Jesse has senior management, executive, and C-suite experience with a solid track record of providing leadership and direction to drive revenue for tech companies. Jesse is also the co-host of Deconstructing Data podcast. She's the founder of ClickCause, which aims to inspire ethical marketing, and of Reviting, a full-service dark social agency. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I uh, always love to have a fellow podcaster on. <laughs> I'd like to start with understanding a little bit more about your path to CMO within BDEX. Um, it looks like you have been there at BDEX for a little more than a year, mm-hmm. and formerly you were the head of marketing. Can you tell us a little bit about your career journey so far at BDEX? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I came to BDEX knowing that I wanted to do marketing and that like in even 10 years from now, like that was what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be running my own marketing agency. And so, you know, in prior experiences, I'd uh, marketed to marketers, very meta of me. And so I knew that I didn't really necessarily want to do sales anymore. And I didn't want to do operations. I wanted to be able to focus primarily on, you know, the analytical and quantitative, but also the creative and qualitative side of marketing, because that's really what interests me. And so um, I, you know, had prior experience in marketing and B2B SaaS. And so it made sense. And I had some data background and experience and a lot of my past positions. So, you know, I was inspired by the product. And so that's what brought me on board. I guess my like climbing, I don't know what got me to CMO from head of marketing, um, just being consistent and showing data and showing, you know, where you're adding value and constantly communicating that and also not being afraid to say, I don't know, and ask questions because, you know, the faster we fail, the uh, more we learn and we're able to grow. So yeah, I'd say that's, that's Mm -hmm. how I climbed was just by being curious, being consistent, finding our channels where our audience was and finding and trying to create 
content that's digestible, educational, um, and interesting for them so that they would want to learn more about BDEX. Mm -hmm. Great. Can you tell the folks listening in a nutshell what BDEX does? (laughs) Yeah, we do a lot of things, primarily consumer data, though. So, you know, a lot of the people I talk to say, like in Reviting, they're targeting B2B. Um, We can help you with your consumer data. So if you want to target consumers, say on TikTok or Google ads or Facebook, we Mm -hmm. can basically take your first party data. So your customer data, first of all, help you understand it. Complimentary, like we have an app, OmniIQ. If you go to bdex.com, you can try. um, There's a free, I don't want to say free trial because it's free. And inevitably, like you'll have a free data clean room and you can also like upload your list and analyze your list and get free gender, birth year, and what's the other one? Household income analytics Mm -hmm. on your customers to start understanding them. And we have 5,000 plus segments that we can run against your first party data to better understand them. So of course you can upgrade to learn more depending on what you want to learn about them. But then, you know, once we study and learn about your audience, we can use machine learning to find other people who are like your ideal customers. Um, And so moving away from the third party cookie approach that advertisers have been using, we help you embrace your first party customer data, understand your first party customer data, and then use it to improve your return on ad spend by targeting people deterministically where they are. So does that make sense? And then like, you know, identity resolution, um, pretty soon we'll be launching some more features in Omni IQ. Right now you can, you know, use the data clean room, you can upload a list, you can analyze your list, and then we can can help you push it to whatever ad platform you have. We're still helping with that mm-hmm. manually to some extent, but it's really exciting. This is all music to my ears. I, I love talking about first party data and, and, mm. and audience building. I want to make sure that I really understand what you all are doing. You're taking their first party data, so you're taking huge gobs of customer data that they have. So presumably that's going to be some self-identifying information and data. And you're enhancing that or enriching that with other you insights that you yeah, have from exactly. your platform. Mm-hmm. So you're supersizing that data in a way. And then is the end to help them expand similar types of audiences like that, that you can then feed back into to those ad platforms? Exactly. So you can learn from your first party customer data and analyze it, enrich it, but then you can expand it. um, Expansion, yeah, that's just like. Yeah, exactly. So I know that Facebook um, and most people advertising on Facebook know this. There's the lookalike audience. Exactly the same that's concept. That's very popular. Google has a similar audience. I think that's essentially the same thing when you take, you take But they're limited to their own data. So like Facebook mm-hmm. is running that against Facebook data. Google's right. running that okay. against Google data. So we're running it across, you know, many different, there's like psychographic, behavioral location, you know, there's many different segments mm-hmm. you can watch, like what people watch on TV, what shampoo they buy, like there's so many thing purchases. Yeah. So then are you all helping to fill in the gaps, the blind spots that Facebook and Google currently don't see in the old data sets? There are some, you know, but yeah, no, we, it's, it's a similar concept, except we're expanding it and we're doing it deterministically and we're working with you to right now it's all custom done. So yep, exactly the same concept, but just more data, I'd say cleaner data. I would say more privacy compliant, but I don't want to say that though, but I know that our CEO has some really interesting, you should really look up David Finkelstein and what he's doing. And maybe you can set up a conversation with him too, because he has a lot to say about, you know, Facebook and Meta's approach to 
their advertising platform and how they really, you know, even got started with what they're doing and to where it is now. I mean, we can kind of see with Meta, which he joked is Mida. Um, they might have done well because <laughs> last week there was some funny news on them, but his, he posts about that. Um, I still use Facebook. I still recognize the fact that I think it's like 2 billion people, 2 plus billion people are on Facebook, you know, and there's still a lot of people who are, we serve, who are looking to target differently their audiences on Facebook. So we can, on Facebook, we can send those audiences for you. Like they would just appear in their platform. So that's something that can be done. But with other ones, you know, of course, like anyone can upload a list into any advertising platform. Like that's pretty much like mm-hmm. in LinkedIn, I do that for Edex. We upload lists into there manually. But yeah. like the Is that called matched are- audience, right? Exactly. And they call it, do they call it lookalike? I have to have to go back in there and look, but I think they create, they have a lookalike option in there too. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Expansion mm-hmm. of your matched audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it all just comes down to really quality data, um, yeah. but also quality algorithms too. And I'd say that's one of the really great things about VDEX is we have an extensive amount of data and we have, we're a small startup, so we're nimble. So we work with our customers to help them succeed. Like that's our goal. You know, we're not a Facebook. We're not a Google. And so it's been really fun to be able to watch what they've been able to accomplish. Because part of me, when I started here, I was like, yeah, what are we going to do when third-party cookies go away? (laughs) You know, but so like me, I already knew all along just in my past experiences on like political campaigns. And I worked in a DA's office doing data for a while, like where you get your best numbers to really tell a story or to really accomplish a goal is always through your own first-party data. Like that's going to be, you know, the quality data that you want want to both enrich, of course, analyze and understand because that's your audience. You want to understand what they are, who they are, you know, what makes them want to do what they want to do. Like any marketer, even myself, I love obsessing over my audience so I can learn about them and make sure we're sending them messages with content that's relevant to them in the platforms that are relevant to them. And, you know, so that's really what it's all about is just having quality first party data. And that's what BDEX provides. That's great. Let's talk about these cookies. Google has announced and they've been, I think, kicking kicking the can down, down the road, so to speak. But the latest we have is 2024 is when third-party cookies will finally yeah, sunset. They keep and, putting and it off. Like, how many times have yeah. they put it? Have they delayed it now? Two or three times, I think. Initially, it was going to be this year, maybe or last year. Right. But it is, an, it is inevitable. My personal view is that people don't fully understand and appreciate what that's going to mean. And they don't fully realize how much of the current return on ad spend is driven from these the ability of a third-party cookie to track every individual across the web and target them. Yeah. If it goes away, uh, things are going to change dramatically. And is first-party data the answer for substituting the loss of third-party, the data from third-party cookies? I mean, I mean, I think so. I'm, but like, as our co-founder Michael, he's the chief data officer. He said one time, you know, like, why would people use third-party cookies? First-party cookies has been better even since you know they started at Phoenix. Like, it's always better. You know, um, yeah. it's true. And I think it about better. it even just like in my small experiences, say working on like a political campaign where people were literally going door to door collecting information about are you going to support this candidate or not. And when they tell you yes, those are your supporters. That data is really important because then you're building 
building your list, you're building your first party, that's voter data, first party voter data, you know, and of course, those are going to be the people you want to turn out to the polls, make sure that they vote. And same with those people who say they're not, then you can, that's your exclusion list, right? You're going to suppress them, make sure you don't waste any money mailing them or, you know, sending them any materials. So your yeah. first party data, it's the same thing at a granular level. Now we have CTV, you know, like we can target people so easily on however many devices they have deterministically. So if you know exactly who it is that you want to target, then like that's what yeah. we do is making sure that you're doing it. So this is really fascinating because I think that in the near future, when you're talking about third-party cookies going away, you also have the rise of automation in these ad platforms. Facebook probably led the way, but Google is following now with automated, fully automated campaign types like Performance Max, where yeah. you really don't even choose keywords anymore. You have to only give creative inputs and audience inputs into the platform and let the platform do its thing. I think this is the future. And really, the inputs become the key here, not the outputs anymore. It's really now what you can, what you can bring into the platform, not what you can do in the platform. So the, the old way of optimizing in Google ads had to do with keyword research and organizing your ad groups and your ad copies and structuring things and sometimes even manually bidding. I think all that will be replaced and the work is going to be around how do I bring in better segmented and higher quality audiences so that I can match that with higher quality creative, more segmented yes. creative. And on the data side, how can I also bring in data that will feed the algorithm? So it's not, it's really about feeding this thing, not, yes. not feeding it or optimizing it. You want quality fuel to run your machine, right? And data yeah. is that fuel. We've talked about that on the Deconstructing Data podcast, you know, data. It's the fuel that runs the machine. So you want a lot of it and you want it to be a high quality. And you mentioned machine learning earlier, and, and we're, we're trying to do a little bit of work in machine learning now with first-party data in order to predict lifetime value. And we want to use that as a uh, conversion event so that Google and its bidding algorithms can try to maximize the future lifetime value, the predicted lifetime value. And do you use machine learning with, with your audiences to also try to put some sort of a value on certain audiences that have perceived higher quality? You know, really, it's like comes down to garbage in, garbage out. So you can upload mm -hmm. any audience, any CSV file you want into Omni IQ. So mm -hmm. based on that, that's what we will learn from to create your audience. So, you know, it comes down to like, you need to know your audience a little bit, but also like data is just one data and audience, as you mentioned, is just one side of the campaign, right? You have to have creative too. And yeah. another thing too, that like, I think we see a lot is people will start an advertising campaign and a month later, they'll be like, oh, it's not working. You have to give it time as well. I know some agencies will even like put a minimum on it because you need to be able to test and optimize. As you were saying, optimization is changing. Data is just one side of it. You have to have a message that speaks clearly to those people, right? Mm -hmm. And so Jesse, how has it gone? Do you have any any examples or case studies with where a client has taken their data, enriched it and enhanced it using your tools and your platform, brought it into ad platforms and had bigger success? Do you have any, any numbers yeah, that you can well, share? And the one that comes to mind is really TiVo. So TiVo is a partner of ours. And you may remember TiVo is like the set top box, right? Yeah. That would help you record your TV and whatever you're watching. But they still are essentially a data company in that they're helping advertisers with the TV data and analyzing and targeting audiences. So Faraba comes on and she can explain it, you know, much more technically. And she's been doing it for years. So she's seen how advertisers were like, I, like she was telling a story one time about, she's like, everything we're doing right now with machine learning, 
learning, we used to do by hand, you know, with like three options, like gender and like whatever, three different segments. Now we're taking this data of what people are watching, who's watching devices, and we're using machine learning to target audiences. So we're partner with them and we help them serve their customers with advertising audiences, but we've also helped them. Um, and we have a case study from, it was actually written before I started where, I, so that's why I'm like, I'm having problem pulling up the number in my head, but it was like, we improved their return on ad spend with like 40 something percent, 43% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so TiVo comes to mind because they're both a partner and customer. But let's see, you know, there are definitely others. There was CBS. So we helped TiVo with improving their return on ads. And I don't know what the number is. I'd have to go back and look at the actual case study, but it was with, what was the show? Come dance with me or so you can dance or one of those. So you think you can dance? Is that the one that runs on CBS? Yeah. I um, have to go back and look at it. But, you know, yeah. So we were helping people target advertisements during that show and for that show. And so it was it was a successful campaign. And so we're able to help a lot of these major brands. Um, we have some major partners. We partner with LiveRamp and Snowflake. And, um, and we also, you know, work together with them as well. So it's been a really interesting company to work for because they definitely are really good at what they do. Our dev team is highly skilled. I mean, they have like PhD. And like building Omni IQ with them has been an incredible experience because they'll do things so quickly. You know, as soon as we get feedback, it's like they are so quick to be able to jump and improve things. And that's what's fun about being in a startup, right? And so we're all in Slack and we communicate well. And so it's been a really great experience. And I think that customers see that when they come in too, like we're eager to help people. You know, we're not a Google, we're not a Facebook. We have OmniIQ and we send you to OmniIQ and we provide those complimentary analytics through it um, as well as the data clean room. But if you want to, we can also work with you to help you target your audiences as we do for some of these larger brands, because that's what OmniIQ allows us to do is reach smaller businesses who also want to do this similar type of targeting, maybe not on CTV, but maybe on Instagram. Gotcha. There is a lot of education that goes into it. And I don't want to say like challenger selling, but essentially like we need to make sure that the people that we're working with are able to take what we're able to give them and, you know, run their own advertising campaigns as well. And that, you know, a lot of, that's why I say too, there's education that needs to go into the fact that it's not just about the data, but having quality creative that gets in front of people that you're targeting as well with a message that resonates with them. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot more that goes into it than just the audience. But yeah, that is the part that we can help with really well. So mm -hmm. those who in a lot of people now are running their own ads and they're learning as they go and they look up things and people learn on the internet. So, you know, we are able to help a lot of those savvy businesses who are able to run it themselves. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the data privacy angle for a minute here. Obviously, we're in, a, in an age of hypersensitive now privacy around personal data. And you are, first of all, convincing these large organizations to hand over their first party data to you so that you can enhance it and enrich it. How do you navigate this minefield of data privacy? First, in getting your customers, your clients to share that data with you in the responsible way and also to handle it responsibly and give it back to them the right way. How do you navigate all that? Absolutely. Great question. Well, first and foremost, when you upload any data into OmniIQ, we're not using it for anything except to help you. So it doesn't get like put back anywhere. Like it's your data. So if anything, we're just adding to it and helping you push it to an ad platform of your choice um, and mm -hmm. helping you analyze it. So it all just lives in OmniIQ. The data clean room is completely yours. So it's all your data. 
So at the end of the day, it just really comes down to respecting your audience, respecting people, you know, following the law. That's the perspective we take is, you know, mm -hmm. data privacy comes first. And like what we suggest to our audiences too, is like, you need to make sure that you're getting opt-in consent. You know, you only want to be emailing people who want to be emailed and, you know, just there are rules you need to be following. And so, yeah, like that's the most important part is mm -hmm. respecting your audience, you know, because at the end of the day, if we just go out and we, everyone starts spamming everybody, it devalues exactly what we're doing, right? So it's just mm -hmm. like when I worked in text messaging, you know, there would be people who would want to come by text messages who had ill intentions, they'd want to go spam people, right? So we'd have to like, no, can't sell to those people because this is what they're trying to do and make sure that they're getting people are getting opt in consent, even to some degree, double opt in consent for a lot of the marketing messages you're doing, of course, one on one messages you can do um, P to P, but A to P stuff is where, you know, you need to be careful and you need to be careful what people are doing. But like, yes, okay, so you say people, there are other text messaging companies that maybe were letting the spammers loose and letting them, you know, send, giving them access to this technology and they thought they're making a quick buck. But at the end of the day, they're devaluing the entire industry because it's going to, text messages would eventually turn into email where people don't even want to check their text messages because it's all just garbage. And so, you know, I think for anybody out there, like that's the, the right approach to take like follow the rules be data compliant data be data respect data privacy rules compliance to keep the value of what we're doing don't devalue what we're doing you know you see like these stories that you see in Europe primarily I feel like where there are more regulation around privacy protection and data and you know you see more stories about Facebook there and you know like I don't know where I was going with that but I feel like that is not helping the industry it's not helping advertisers. It's not helping data providers. It's not helping consumers and the people we're trying to serve and help. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like I think, and the same thing could be said, like there's so much fraud out there. Like then you look at what our, what our customers go through is ad fraud a lot. So making mm -hmm. sure, and that's where being able to target people deterministically comes handy and how, how we help you improve your return on ad spend is because we're helping you target real people, not bots and fraud, like linking it back to an actual human before you send it out on a campaign. Um, and mm -hmm. that's where you're going to save a lot of money. But yeah, it's just a problem all over. And I don't know if regulation, at least the type of regulation I've seen and read of is the answer what it is. But I do think that businesses like BDEX are at the forefront to basically be the change. And that's what makes it very exciting to work here. Great. Now a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. I'd like to ask now about your personal interest with ethical marketing. And you have this quote, it's profitable to do what's right in business. What was the root of your interest and passion in ethical marketing? 
I think all of that, like it really came from honestly working in email marketing first and foremost, later text message marketing in that like the successful campaigns are the ones that are doing it right. The ones who are not spamming their customers, the ones who are emailing or texting the people with their marketing content who are asking for that message. Even if it's a small group, it's all about your quality first party data. And so honestly, like that as a marketer, that's what inspires me because email marketing was something I was doing even back when I worked on political campaigns in, you know, then in government and then of course in SaaS and then later text messaging, which I think it becomes more important because text messages are more disruptive, right? They're just like bing, right on your phone. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and in the US, like text messages are huge. Everybody, you get a really high open rate with text messages. Um, not as many people in WhatsApp, but it's growing. And so, but anyway, it's just about if you want to be successful, don't be a spammer, like respect your audience, only email them when they want to be emailed at a proper time and only email them good information. Like don't, don't email them just because you can, like don't advertise them just because you can have a creative message with a call to action for them or something for them to do or something for them just to learn. Sometimes like, you know, for LinkedIn advertising for myself, at least from B2B, I don't try to take them out of the platform. I'm just trying to expose our brand to them. I just want to get engagement from them. I want to, I want them to follow us so we can continue to share content with them. I want them to be inspired enough to want to follow us and be interested in reading our content. I think what you just said is very, is very key, not wanting to, or not trying to force them out of the yeah. platform. And I think yeah. that's one of, the, one of the ways LinkedIn has excelled so much in the last few years is that the in-platform content keeps getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And I even think now the posts that I see that do the best in terms of engagement yes. are starting to seem like blog posts that are now newsfeed updates and they're long, long, exactly. uh, engaging because people prefer to stay in the platform. If they want to expand that and dig, dive deeper, they can, or or they can keep scrolling, keep some keeping people in platform, doing content marketing while keeping people in their platform of choice now is I think it's the winning strategy. Totally. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. And thought leadership, you know, like getting your leaders on board, especially in B2B, like your, mm -hmm. it's important that leaders are active on LinkedIn. I think yeah. any industry in B2B is that's where your audience is. That's, that's going to be a primary platform for you. They may not engage a lot because the majority of people on LinkedIn are just lurkers. People are afraid mm -hmm. to comment. People are afraid to post a lot of the time just because of, you know, company culture where they work. Or like they feel like they don't have anything, like it can be intimidating to post on LinkedIn a lot of time for different people. But that's why it's such a growth hack. So if you can create mm -hmm. content that people want to consume on LinkedIn, then you're going to be able to reach a lot of people yeah. fast. Mm -hmm. And your LinkedIn, Jesse, seems to be doing great. You're, you're approaching 12,000 followers. And it <laughs> seems that you're balancing your own personal brand with promoting BDEX and their solutions and starting a lot of great conversations. So tell us a little bit about how do you you approach personal branding and how do you balance personal branding with the brand of the company that you work for? It's a really great question. I wouldn't be able to do it without the support of my boss, who I've mentioned like 10 different times, David Finkelstein, co-founder and yeah. CEO of VDEX, Forbes Tech Council member, just like really smart person who says, you know, like one of the reasons he hired me was because I was active on LinkedIn. He's always welcomed me to come on podcasts like this. You know, like I sometimes feel awkward, like I got invited to this Paris Talks marketing podcast. Is it okay if I do it? You know, like, and a lot of the time people will ask me about Whiskey Wednesday in like collaboration with BDEX or ClickCause or other things. And it's just like, it's fine because like, I think it's because he's forward thinking and he recognizes that 
you know, LinkedIn podcasts and personal brands are going to become more important moving forward, especially into the future. I mean, just like look at web three, for example, everything's tied to the person, like it's going to be tied to your personal wallet. And it's the same thing in business. Like things are tied to people, like people are people you're doing business with businesses, yes, but there's people that run those businesses. And so putting yourself out there on LinkedIn or wherever you are, TikTok, you know, there's so many platforms now where you can go out and share your knowledge, share your skills, then it helps you close the trust gap with your audience. You know, I think David recognizes that and David sees that. So since I have his support, that's why I'm able to do what I'm able to do. Well, you certainly wouldn't wouldn't have as much confidence and freedom that you yeah. do now really express your views. I, I think that's that's critical. And I do think it's very mm-hmm. forward thinking for founders, CEOs to not only allow, but strongly encourage their leadership team to be very active on LinkedIn and to build their own personal brands. Because building a personal brand won't come at the expense of your company's brand or whatever, the employer brand. In fact, it will, it will just enhance it even more because people are interested in Jesse Lizak. And the next thing they're going to look at is, well, where does she work and what is she doing? And oh, what is BDEX about? And I think that there's a real synergy there. And I- Absolutely. Uh, I think that that's a hidden, I think it's almost a secret weapon that a lot of companies aren't utilizing enough is empowering their leadership teams to do more personal branding and on LinkedIn, especially. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, especially larger corporations are, are intimidated or fearful that, oh, I don't want to post something that our compliance team, I might get slapped on the hand here, or I, uh, I might get out of bounds of what I, what I can say, what I can't say. And I think that's yeah. really restricting and holding a lot of those companies back. That's the beauty of, I guess, working at a startup to some extent, like I'm able to just yeah. talk to David and you know he's supportive. Of course, there's been like points of view I've taken that some people haven't agreed with because having a personal brand means being yourself and like having a point of view. Not everybody's going to like it, but that's okay. Those who will, will be able to follow you and your tribe will find you. Right. Um, And if people disagree with you, like let them disagree. Like, like we don't have to fight, but like, let's just engage in the comments about it. Like, you know, you don't have to, it can be a good thing. Like you can use those disagreements to your advantage. Right. And, but yeah, there have come times where like my point of view maybe would not resonate with someone, but I think for the most part, he understands and the team understands that that's what it's about to build a personal brand is going out, having a point of view. I mean, if I just went out and agreed with everybody on everything, then why would anyone follow me? Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes I do say things like outbound sales should fall under marketing. You know, like some people don't like that, but I'm a marketer. So I think like a marketer and I think most marketers think that way too. Or like I came out of politics, so I, I don't really like talk politics now, but like if something happens and I might say, put something on my social media, you know, like when the uh, Roe v. Wade decision was overturned or whatever, I think I said something like the Supreme Court's canceled. So you may not like that if your perspective is the other side, but I think it's healthy to have a point of view and to feel free and have freedom of speech to be able to talk about it. And I think that it's it makes companies who support that look good and it's good for branding overall and culture. And that's the type of companies that people want to buy from these days. Yeah. Especially on LinkedIn, people are listening to and engaging with other people. I haven't seen one LinkedIn company page do extremely well or do better than the leader's personal profile in that same company. So it's very clear if LinkedIn isn't already telling us, people want to engage with and buy from other people. They want to see the personalities. They want to see your point of view and the the brands are are taking It's so hard to build a company page on LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, we have ours and I, and I guess you, you've got yours, but the personal profiles is where it's at. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's where to put the good stuff. And LinkedIn did a, I think they did a really good job of allowing personal profiles for a long time to have good organic reach. And that window is still open, I think. And that window has now been open probably longer than that. The Facebook organic reach window was open many years ago. And I think that LinkedIn has done a smart a smart thing there. Instead of trying to force people to advertise too quickly, they're investing in the content quality by allowing organic reach and allowing the top quality content to bubble up yes. to the top of those news feeds instead and of like, forcing people to, to put ad budget behind it. Yes. And not forcing people to go outside of the platform. Like if you're on LinkedIn, yeah. you should be able to stay on LinkedIn. And I think that it, getting that qualitative feedback like from customers on your website, like how did you hear about us? They'll attribute LinkedIn later on or podcast later on that's the dark social part of it that you know I think is really important and shouldn't be ignored like it it is really hard to measure like say what we're doing on a podcast right now on like a LinkedIn live but word of mouth people will listen to it people will learn from it and you're being consistent and like doing this recording so you know there's definitely a series out there that people can follow and that becomes important in building a brand and so many people want to like have that quick I don't know ROI to know exactly like how someone came in and why they bought from you. But Mm -hmm. a lot of these dark social points are extremely important. And word of mouth is like everything in B2B. And a lot of this dark social that we're doing like on podcasts or even like communities now, like there's different Slack communities. Um, They're like chat rooms. I'm in one of like 1800 marketers where people are just like asking all sorts of questions, you know? And like, of course I tell people about BDEX in there when they're running their TikTok campaigns and can't find the mobile ad IDs of the list they want to target. You know what I mean? So like, of course I'm going to speak up in there, but is that going to like, is the attribution software going to show that they heard about that through the Slack channel? No. You know, so that's where I think advertisers can get more creative in terms of like, let people learn and just target, you target the right people, you educate the right people with the right topics. It may not show in your attribution software that it came from even LinkedIn, but that's why you have to ask and get that qualitative feedback to figure out how are people actually hearing about you and learning from you. And what you'll learn is it is LinkedIn, it is podcasts. And even those people who say it's not that you'll later later learn. And like, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast for, you know, the last month, you know, and I think we'll see more personal brands because this is the type of marketing that people prefer to consume these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesse, this has been fantastic. Uh, There's a lot more that I would like to keep talking to you about, especially dark social. It's such an intriguing term anyway. But if we were to connect this back to the impending sunsetting of third-party cookies, I think in a way marketing is coming full circle in that we may have reached nearly the apex of hyper-performance, hyper-measurable marketing. And when third-party cookies go away, it will push people in a good way back into things like dark social where they have to trust a little bit more in the quality of their message, the quality of the content, the audiences that they're reaching and believe that at, to some degree, they won't be able to figure out exactly the attribution of a podcast investment or an investment in building a community somewhere, but that if their brand is getting stronger, or if they're growing and people are talking about it, I think that's enough evidence that they're doing the right stuff. Absolutely. I think it just comes, yeah, yeah, it's done a full circle. So back to the basics, right? Right. Delivering really solid, creative, great messaging and good quality to the right people and trusting that those people will appreciate it and will eventually buy from you when they're ready. And that is the way to, to do ethical marketing. Well, Jesse, as we wrap up here, and where can people find you online? You can please find me on LinkedIn, um, Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, last name Lizak, L-I-Z-A-K. Very active there. But, you know, as we were saying, company pages are hard 
hard to grow too. So please follow BDEX's company page to keep up with a little bit of what we were talking about as well as the Reviting page. Great. Jesse, thanks so much for being with me and looking forward Thank to you so much. in touch. Bye. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.